Dotnet Rocks episode 603 from TechEd New Zealand, recorded live Wednesday, September 1st, 2010. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, by Haystack, and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here's Richard Campbell. Hey, New Zealand, welcome to .NET Rocks! Wow, my goodness, you guys are enthusiastic. And I've heard that normally Kiwis are quite restrained. So we're talking about the future of web development, and we got a panel of esteemed experts sitting here. Let's start closest to me. Introduce yourself and what you know. Hi, I'm Chris O'Donoghue. I've got a history of you know development, architecture, strategy um, for about quite a few years now. Um, ran an ISP in the early '90s, and um, when it wasn't cool to do so, no, it certainly wasn't. But hey, it was fun. Yes. Um, and um, spent a fair bit of time at a major media company, sort of in charge of their online their um, innovation, and um, recently in charge of a um, small international software development team. Awesome. Next up. Hi, I'm Aid Trzewski. Uh, I work for TVNZ. Uh, soon to leave and starting a new company. So in the web space? Yeah, in, well, in the strategy and architecture space. Okay. So I'm an enterprise architect. Uh, I've been involved in the creation of uh, tvnz.co.nz and tvnz on demand. And uh, now in the, the sort of senior strategy and architecture space. Excellent. Uh, my name's Andrew Togley. Uh, I've been involved in software development for, for quite a while, um, and predominantly in the Microsoft uh, platform. Um, I um, am currently working uh, for Zero. Go Zero. <laughs> uh, that guy really likes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think he's the only other guy who works for Zero here. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So, so that that's kind of a good position to be in. And this topic of future web apps, you know, Zero is doing pretty well there. And how that might go in the future is quite interesting. So, I'm a Silverlight MVP. Um, so that's also relevant, I guess, to mm-hmm. uh, what might be the future. Definitely impacting the web. And I was terrified coming here that with the with the Twitter uh, phenomena that's happening that you get instantaneous feedback on your performance on stage. And now we have the .NET Rocks uh, recording as well, which will go even further than... It's all right. We'll make sure we circulate your email address on the show as okay. well. Okay, okay. I feel better now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly, last but not least. Uh, my name is Darren Wood. I'm the token front-end nerd. Also, Mac user. Um, I'm hoping that our, you guys will just protect me from the hordes. Uh, I'm a web standards nerd. Uh, I design websites all day. I build using HTML and CSS. So, uh, yeah, web standards. Hey. All right. <laughs> Don't look at me. What did I say? <laughs> Okay, I didn't say anything. All right, where shall we begin? Obviously, all of this is now simple. The future of 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 the web is HTML5, and we can go home, right? Yeah, Yeah. right. (laughs) Andrew agrees. Well, um, it's certainly not the future, but it's the way it's going to go. I mean, uh, HTML5 used to be called um, web application, right? um, And they basically took it away and rolled that into HTML. Um, you know, it's it's less marking documents up online and more creating applications, usable, functional bits of 
things online. And it doesn't necessarily mean a web browser. It could be, um, you know, your cell phone, your telly, your fridge, if you're that fancy. Um, but it's certainly an exciting way forward without having to bother about plugins or any of those sorts of proprietary things. You were really nice before this. When we talked about it, you didn't mention plugins once, and now, now it's... Well, the game's on, dude. Every second yeah. word was plugin then. <laughs> because if we're still battling in the HTML5 standards. We're not so much plugins, but uh, codecs. I mean, what, what video format are we going to play? And that effectively, now we're back to the plugin requirement. I'm going to have to install something to make that work. Yeah, that is true. Um, it's, a, it's a constant battle. I think H.264 is going to win. Um, I hope so. But there are, of course, the licensing issues yes. that come with that. Um, I'm probably not the best person to talk about those <laughs> sort of things, but it is a concern. Yeah, it certainly is a concern. And that, you know, from a broadcaster's perspective, uh, transcoding into multiple transcode formats is a, is a cost you don't want to have to uh, cover, and it takes away from the bottom line. Right, and every time you switch formats, you have other problems as well. And there's certainly been a, sort of a drive towards a completely open codec. <laughs> Uh, but it doesn't seem like anybody's willing to support that. Well, no, um, open source and open formats are often quite scary because you've got um, a bunch of faintly pizza-smelling nerds sitting in a back room doing something magical. Um, and a lot of times, like, um, Firefox is happy to adopt that because they themselves are an open source sort of um, organization, but it's the, uh, the more corporate and, you know, um, the Apples, the Microsofts that are finding it difficult to come to terms with OGG, for example, right. which is the, um, the proposed open format for video and audio. Um, at the end of the day, the best one is going to win. I mean, if you look at something like the GIF PNG argument, um, personally, I'm going to go with PNG all the way. Right. Not only because it's open, but because it's a far superior technology. Than yeah, GIF. it's nice when those two things go together, but they don't always go together. We get That's into right, the, yeah. the Betamax VHS debate, right, where yeah. Betamax was clearly superior, but Sony crippled it uh, with its other <laughs> licensing requirements. There are yeah. two ways around that, and yeah. v the inferior technology won. And I wonder if we're up against the same thing here. That, And then to me, the issue seems to be the threat of patent violation around those codecs. That the fact that we have H.264, which we all try, we know and understand, and but most the most best feature of that whole thing is we know where the licensing lies with it, even if it is an expense. At I least think, it's known. I think you're you're onto a good point there, but I think it's not so much the uh, the technology that's sitting behind it. It's possibly who becomes the fastest content aggregator. Who's got the most content? Who's got the um, who's got the greatest volume of content that's most in, uh, interesting to the, the audience? So you're saying YouTube works? Well, YouTube maybe not. But then yeah. there's, there's commercial there's commercial content. There's the free content, but the commercial content's the stuff that people really would you know the, the lost, the desperate housewives, the stuff that people kind of want to watch for, for free and they're getting for free at the moment. If you aggregate that in the on the web, if you're the if you're the the big um, volume house that can get that stuff out there faster than anybody else, and you propose a particular standard, then you might be the winner. That particular standard becomes the winner. That's another element of it. You know, I think we've gone down a particular area here, uh, at which you know certainly we're trying to poke holes in HTML5, but I think it's pretty hard to resist its long-term potential. But isn't there room for Silverlight and heaven forbid Flash in the foreseeable future? Yeah, I, I thought what a good question to ask, and what we asked ourselves when we, we got together before this was, what is a web application? So we posed the question of the future of web applications, mm -hmm. and it's it's actually quite hard to define now. It used to be not that long ago that a web application was simply an application delivered through the browser, 
Uh, and then obviously HTML was, you know, heads and shoulders above everyone else. Standards-based approach meant you had the widest possible reach. Uh, it was all goodness. But I guess if we're thinking about the future of web applications, then it becomes, well, I think it becomes more than the browser. It becomes, uh, you know, what, what's driving the applications on your mobile devices. You know, you've probably all uh, got lots of native apps, native apps uh, defined on there. Um, and, and so it's, there's, a, there's more of a, uh, an acceptance of non-browser or non-HTML-based applications driving your access to the data and services of the web. And so I like to think of web applications, perhaps in a kind of almost an old-fashioned way, almost like a smart client, you know, thin client mentality, where it's uh, uh, a bit bigger than just this is HTML cool or is Silverlight cool or is Flash not cool. You know, I think they, they solve different problems. Well, let me throw this at you a different way then, because I think you're hinting along these same lines, which is, does the web application even exist anymore? The same way, that, is there any application today that doesn't use networking in some respect? They, and, yep. if, and if it's on the network, the web's not a big jump. It's not like there's two different protocols or anything there. Like, isn't every application now effectively a web application in that definition? Hmm. You know, other than the only question mark there is maybe browser or not, but we're delivering, I look at click once. Delivering perfectly normal client apps, but installed over the web. You know, what is a? Is there anything that's really not a web application? It's a anymore? massive gray area, and, I, and so in the Silverlight space and WPF, it's even more interesting because it's very obvious that that graying of the space. Right. You go from a plugin in a browser, and then there's a gradation of out of browser. Then it becomes a pure WPF app, and so you know this idea of, and then you got you know Windows Phone Seven app, you know, all using similar technologies, and that sort of continuum of Stuff. You know, I, I dream of a future of web apps where I go file a new web app and I'm coding away, and then I go, you know, it's some time down the track, I go, okay, I'm going to target that to the Windows phone, or right. I'm going to target that to my desktop, and I'm going to, it's going to, just like when you target a framework now, and you're building a, a desktop app or, or a ASP.NET site, and you choose the targeted framework, and all of a sudden you target you know, .NET 4, and you get you're allowed now to reference .NET 4 assemblies. You can do some goodness there. Now, that would be kind of cool in a, I'm targeting the desktop, and now I only have access to those assemblies that will, will, will run on the desktop. Similarly, if I'm targeting the phone, it'd be nice to only have those that can target that device. It's almost like you're describing HTML5 there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> if it weren't for the fact that the future devices that are going to run these applications, you know, it, it's going to be there. But there's devices that we're using. You have to think of television. You think of phone. All those devices require the application, well, require applications that run on them to also talk to those things, to read the temperature, to know where you are, to, to do stuff. And some of those things are coming into HTML, you know, and that's really exciting. Uh, but I wonder... It's going to be interesting. HTML six and seven are they going to really allow that sort of interaction with the device that they're running on? Uh, you know that which they can't. You know it's kind of sandbox now. That's kind of not allowed at the moment, but well, becoming allowed. Maybe this is the the creative, non-technical side of me coming through. But for me, HTML is not even a programming language. It's markup. Well, we've been I saying mean, that for years, but for an entirely different reason. But indeed. Yes. Um, well, and that's. I think that's an important point to make. Is you know you can go further down and learn how to program and do these things correctly. I say correctly, but as like a proper application. But HTML, CSS, really easy to achieve these things without getting too involved specifically as creatives. It's the perfect solution. Mm -hmm. um, however, there's the flip side to that. There's the, um, you know, the Dreamweaver, the front page that are going to mangle code and produce some horrific things. 
So it is a fine line, and I think um, the kids today are finding these. This <laughs> Sorry, I'm interested. I'm interested. I'm really struggling here. <clears throat> Sorry. And I think it's just becoming more accessible and easier produ to produce these rich applications without having to rely on a hardcore programming background. But sure, that's just the front end, though, isn't it? I it mean, is the front know, end, and that's what the consumers so much, use. Exactly, and there's so much more that's sitting behind there. Yeah. And, and the cloud obviously provides a different perspective that hasn't been there in so much in the past, or isn't so accessible as it is in the past. And by cloud, I mean consumable services, yep. not just SaaS applications. Yep. Well, it, and it, it sort of begs the question, this is a different side of this whole conversation around future of web apps, which is the same way that HTML5 seems to be blowing up the story of what the client's going to be like. Is cloud blowing up the life of the ISP? Why are we going to need ISPs if everything's living in one of four major cloud providers? Well, I doubt if it's going to be one of four because there'll be niche providers and things like that. But ISPs are going to go back to access, aren't they? You know, They're going to go back to? Access. Like, access? You know, like providing... You know, like access to the to the network. Right. To I would think that maybe they would pick up a piece of the cloud. They'd run I their think own they'll chunks. Try, but you know, certainly for big commodity cards, I think they will in niche services. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, who can compete with the Amazons and the Microsofts of this world? Right. So I mean, the same way that that most ISPs don't own the IP addresses per se, they're licensing them yeah, from ICANN and so forth, and they generally don't own their own wire. <laughs> they'll eventually not own their own servers. Yeah. So yeah. why why do they exist? Because consumers can't get online by themselves. They right. need help. So we're counting on the incompetence of Microsoft's provisioning to keep them in business. Not just Microsoft, Apple's, you know. Oh, the, oh yeah, there's lots of, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Amazon will hurt, make it hard to. All programmers are useless. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we better survey the room here while we're going to, how many people are considering themselves a web developer in this room right now? So that's about maybe a third. How many would consider themselves infrastructure experts that run the, the web infrastructure? Very, very few. So the rest of you just happy to be here? <laughs> are there other roles? Like we were still missing about two thirds of the room. Just regular. Yeah, yeah, web yeah, designers. All, oh, how many designers? Both guys Who, are here. Just a Woo! developer. Yeah. Who's a developer rather than a web developer? Just a regular developer. Yeah. Primarily put themselves in the developer audience. We still haven't gotten half the room. How many people's arms can't be lifted above their heads? <laughs> there we go. Okay. So now we're seeing that they were loud for the for the welcome to Don and Rocks, but they're a little more shy when they want to be when you want to categorize them. Yeah. Well, who likes being put in a box? There you go. I don't want to be any particular species. That's right. Um, but you know, like I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't really care about you know the the future landscape of access provision and what who's going to. Well, I do, but it's a different conversation than web apps. Um, I think some of the major issues that, you know, like we were talking about earlier, what is a web app, mm -hmm. is, you know, like we, we've talked a lot about, you know, presentation layer, you know, HTML5, is it a rich application on the desktop? But then where does the logic sit? Where does the data sit? You know, you know Adrian before talked about consumption of services out of the cloud, um, or it might be consumption of a specialist service from another application, or, you know, basically, you know, the plethora, that expansion of, of to many devices, many um, services, this is what I consider the future of web apps, you know, that mm. we will have presentation layers that may or may not be in a browser, maybe a rich device-specific application, or and logic that may sit somewhere between the web and the device, you know? But the, inter the interesting thing is, though, that the you know, we've been, for a few years now, we've been really big on thin clients, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the beauty of 
of web design. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's really thin, but it's becoming thicker and thicker yeah. as we introduce AJAX and JavaScript and uh, more functionality within the HTML language itself. Yeah. But even and the, even the modern smartphone blows that up. There's a lot of horsepower in a smartphone. And then native apps, they're not right. You know, you might use your browser if you have to, but if you've got a Twitter client, you're not going to browse to twitter.com. You're going to crank open whatever you're using on your phone. You know, you, so all that, so that we're, we're, it's, it's like we talked a little about whether we should talk about the history of stuff because it's like, you know, things are repeating themselves and mm -hmm. we're now getting richer clients than we ever have. Uh, even though the SOA, cloud architecture is there, we're still putting processing on these clients and on different devices and it raises all sorts of interesting questions about as a as, as someone who builds these applications, how do you spread your time across those multiple devices you have to target without having to build a unique app for every single flavor of phone and toaster and fridge and television. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight Analytics Framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight Analytics Framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com slash Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik. One of the pushes of the SOA architecture was that we were going to end up supporting a lot of clients and we wanted to lighten the load on those client implementations. That's right. That now, here's an interesting point. You, you brought this up already, that smart app, smartphone apps generally are not in browser because we don't have so much horsepower that we can afford that inefficiency. But are they web apps? I, yeah, I guess when I said, and I, I suggested this topic because I was thinking about the apps that we build today. Right. And a lot of the apps we build today are what I call web apps, you know, they're, they're in the perhaps more traditional sense of the HTML-based sites. But, but I think the evolution of web apps is perhaps more accurate. Maybe we're evolving to non-web apps, but the, you know, they're, they're using some of those. How about web-dependent app? Maybe, yeah. That's a good, yeah. that's a good term. Mm -hmm. like but like you, you know, mentioned earlier, which apps aren't? What apps aren't web-dependent mm -hmm. yeah. in, some, in some respect? Mm -hmm. And it, it seems like all these smartphone apps are very web-dependent because they can't afford a lot of processing horsepower into their device. Yeah. They're spending most of that for the UI, and then they're shoving up typically to the cloud to do their, their computation on the back end. That's a great idea, but um, specifically in New Zealand, we have mobile broadband issues. No. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, not even mobile. No. <laughs> so, um, I, and I think that becomes an interesting point, and I keep on saying HTML5, but HTML5 gives you the opportunity to have an offline cache. And I think perhaps not distant future, but certainly in the next year or so, this will have to become something that we use more and more and consider when building apps. It's like when to poll the server. Is the server even there? Right. I mean, that, that whole ability to survive in a disconnected state, right? Yeah. Who was it? Was it Esther Dyson said it was easier to put Wi-Fi everywhere than it was to build a good disconnected client? <laughs> you know, it's hard to actually have an app that tolerates losing its connectivity. Yeah. But as we, as we, if, that's the, if that's the future, you know, if we're going to build apps that have to offline themselves using web technology like HTML and offline storage, then you know, the, the role of JavaScript to coordinate 
that offline storage when it goes detecting network availability and mm. stuff. You, you know, the, currently, the tooling around doing that is is challenging to say the least. Mm. You know, it's it's not such an easy for a developer that, to debug those things. There's challenges to uh, to you know to deploy those things can sometimes be challenging. Versioning across browsers is obviously a challenge. So, well, yeah. I think maybe the future of the web application developer should think about focusing more on their JavaScript skills. I've come across um, some fully grown, well-formed developers who cry with fear when they look at JavaScript. Dude, for cause! Well, I, I, it is a scary Case thing. sensitivity is a horrible prank. <laughs> but, I, I mean, JavaScript, like you said, is the way to solve those issues, and it's perhaps up to us to, you know, increase our knowledge and skills when it comes to JavaScript, because it isn't that scary. I mean, you know, the... Wow. I think the dude who wrote jQuery is... jQuery's made it remarkably more palatable. Yeah. But isn't the alternative that to go down the Silverlight path? I get my cross-platform, and I get to speak C-sharp and live in a happily JavaScript-free world. Yeah, but why... why? <clears throat> oh, yeah, can we get a clap? Awesome, nice and I get on the, I get to go on the phone, and I get to go on the desktop, and I get to go on. The, well, as, as I could go on, <laughs> as a web standards nerd, I'm going to have to fight you on that one, uh, um, because the guys above will fight me. Tim Berners Lee will come down like a ton of bricks on me if I say anything otherwise. But Not these are all these are all very user facing, sort of, sort of like the veneer perspective mm -hmm. of um, the internet, and there's a there's a layer behind there that's uh, that's that's. that's <laughs> Canadian born in New Zealand, okay? <laughs> Very true. Yeah. <laughs> well, to cut to the chase, I mean, I, I, your, your CTOs are looking to reduce complexity. They're looking to reduce the, the cost of deploying the, the big iron infrastructure they have to build out. Mm -hmm. they, they, want, uh, they want to know that they, they, the solution they're going to build is going to work. They want to know that it's going to be scalable and, and not complex. Right. I mean, and, it, and, of course, this leans beautifully into the cloud space of these things. Is that, and I believe it's a perception, not a reality, that offload that responsibility entirely on your cloud provider. With, so you'll have to send angry emails as necessary when they don't deliver for yeah, you. Yeah, but it's not so simple as that, is it? Because you've got these existing application infrastructure right. that needs to be integrated, it needs to be abstracted through something, and it needs to be, perhaps it needs to thread its way in and out of a smorgasbord of, of services sitting out in the cloud. Mm -hmm. And something needs to orchestrate that, and something needs to manage that, and whether that be in the cloud itself, or whether that be partially in the infrastructure you have already built, or partially in the cloud. Who, who knows? But my guess would be more and more of that that's, that SOA world is going to now stretch into into the cloud space. And you're not talking about UDDI, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not particularly talking about that. But it, it, it's it, that is an interesting area. And standardizations, for example, is, is a uh, the real gotcha, perhaps, of adoption of, of cloud services. Things have to, and if you're going to consume a cloud service, and it's coming from one provider, and another cloud service is going to be from another provider. You kind of want to talk the same API. Mm -hmm. You kind of want to talk the same same standards. Otherwise, you can't on the fly switch over to another provider. Well, and and I debate. You know, we saw this in the original web services model and WS star standards, where it turns out that people just don't do that. That you don't switch providers casually. That you, you it's a very cautious thing. Maybe it's only in a disaster recovery scenario. But generally speaking, people pick their services, they sign up for them very specifically, and they learn to deal with the API differences. And the, the WS star standards just 
terrified them. They got buried by them. However, we're talking about future, right? So future. So the future is, is all going to work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course it is. Um, but the future could be. I mean, if you a vision of the future for for developers especially, it would be great. It's a great place to play. Being able to offer your business unit not a constrained service, but a completely open-ended service on a commodity basis, and that's a great dream. How it actually works. <laughs> but I think there's two main drives here. Well, you know, Adrian sort of seems to be talking about you know large organisations have these drivers where they want to reduce complexity, but also they've got business units who want to have innovation within that, and so those abstraction layers seem really obvious ways to a to achieve those dual goals. But then again, there's the consumer space, which is where it's got different drivers, and a lot of it is around UI. You know, like, if you know, it's got a you know, nail polish and a skirt, it looks mm-hmm. good. Are you calling it hey lipstick now. on a pig? Hang on, we've had a slip in the face. That's fine. Um, and, you know, but, you know, we've got these parallel drivers, you know, in the web app. Um, in, in the corporate space, it's less important how it looks Mm-hmm. Um, functionality is important. Usability is important, but you know, look isn't that important. And, and costs are important. Cost yeah. is the big the, Well, yeah, and that the gets CFO back into is the guy who has the last say. Yeah, the main the maintainability of an app ultimately comes in there. Boy, we're taking a great sales pitch for Silverlight here. Well, HTML is free. Yes, and worth every penny you paid for it. You, this, and I don't know if this, this fear this is a fear that I have being an old guy in the HTML space. I remember how fragmented HTML4 was when it first came along. That every browser implemented it differently, and that there was almost a race as to who could polish that feature in a different way. And I'm deathly afraid that HTML5 is going to go down the same path. Well, HTML5 has taken everything that we've done in the past and rolled it into the standard. So it's a design by committee. Well, no, that's the interesting right. thing. So it's COBOL. <laughs> it's um, and, and this has divided a lot of HTML nerds because what it's doing is it's loosening up the entire thing because it's paving the cow paths essentially. That's the fundamental design principle of HTML5. People have been building crap HTML since the dawn of time. So let's just roll that into the standard. I mean, rather... <laughs> Make I, you all happy there. You know, I, I <laughs> drove to Tauranga this weekend, and I think you guys do roads that way, too. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, did I say that out loud? That's a shame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that whole, that whole thing of standards is really interesting because uh, you know, when, you, when you get a silverlight bigot on stage, and, they, they, and I'm not, you know, I'm open-minded, and, you know, they'll say, you know, the thing, the problem with... With HTML is that you know you got to wait until what is it 2011 or tw- 2022? 20, 20, I think it's 20. Is it? Didn't they say it was to be 10 years before it was fully yeah, ratified? Yeah. It'd be like 2022. But yeah. I think the interesting thing that's evolving now, which is in, in HTML's favour and in the, the the browser vendor's favour, is that there's this kind of social conscience going on that we're seeing in some of the social networking sites now, where you know people participate in this no rules uh, environment. And, and your peers kind of enforce this behavior and adherence to, to, to the, way of, the way things should be done. And so you're seeing vendors, uh, in general, working as quick as they can because they don't want to be the last, the last one there to, uh, to adopt the, the standards that aren't standards yet. Uh, and, and it begs the question, do we need a standards body to say, yes, we're now ready, five is ready? Or should it be that you know the browser, you know that there's good sort of uh, you know, development practices that are adopted that, that Daniel talked, uh, Darren talked about. Darren, 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 Darren. Sorry, <laughs> uh, that Darren talked about, 
uh, you know, we're, you know, sort of, uh, being able to, um, uh, write your code in such a way that it degrades nicely if it comes across a tag it hasn't seen before, you know, if a browser doesn't recognize it and stuff. So I think that's, bodes well for the future of, uh, of HTML and not being so standards bound, perhaps. But by that same token, if a standard doesn't actually set useful guidelines for work, it ends up going in multiple directions. Witness SQL. Where there is no, I mean, effectively, there is no real, nobody, everybody complies with the standard and nobody actually uses it. Well, uh, uh, the exact same thing happened with XHTML. Mm -hmm. um, XML came on board, everyone got ex extremely excited. They were like, okay, we're going to forget about HTML and make it into XHTML. And that tanked. Right. Um, XHTML 2.0 came on, and it was completely not backward compatible, and game over. And HTML5 was like, wait, 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 let's just go back look at what people are doing and use that. And the, another important point for HTML5 is that this standard is telling browser vendors what to do when it fails right. as well, which has always been inferred by the browser vendors, but there's been no standards around that. And I think that's an important point as well. And it helps you know, the browser vendors of the world to produce something that is gonna essentially make our lives as developers and designers much easier. I does anybody here believe we're going to get away from needing to say if IE9 then, mm. if Chrome then? I just don't think we're going to get away from that. I, I'm optimistic. Good. Deluded. Somebody but optimistic. <laughs> well, I feel like HTML5 is as shiny as it will ever be because it's close but not shipping. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so this is as good as it's going to feel. Next comes reality. Well, I mean, that's the, the W3C for everything that they've done, which is great. Mm -hmm. They take forever. Oh, yes. Like CSS 2.1, which is most, we all use that every day. That arrived like only a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Did they finalize that? So 2022 for HTML5, yes, that is in an awful lot of time away, but browsers are supporting that already. Um, IE has been supporting um, a bunch of stuff since version 7. Um, so why not use it, you know? It's there, and we don't necessarily have to listen to the standards body to say, okay, it's 2022, let's roll. Because yeah. it, becomes, it becomes a standard when every browser on the market supports a common set of features. And we finally hit a point where the IE6 utilization got low enough we could finally say friends don't let friends run IE6 anymore, and yeah. we're building websites that go, you're running IE6, you need to get over it. Yeah. But it, it, what's that number? And I wonder if the same thing at the adoption of HTML5 browsers. Like how many, maybe 2022 isn't a stretch. It's going to take a few years for people to move to those browsers. Yeah, I, w I would imagine so. Perhaps that's why it's so far ahead. Um, but having said that, you can manipulate um, IE6 to make it kind of sort of play. Um, I like abandoning it so much better. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. the problem is that the browser uptake is faster than website renewal. You know, yes. there's so many websites out there which still only play nice on IE6. Yes. Well, I mean, that's a whole other issue. Or they're still yeah. HTTP 1.0. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <sighs> Clearly not the future. Question at the back here. I'll come. Let's meet halfway. Okay, I came a lot further than you. You're slow. <laughs> Hi, what's your name? Uh, my name is Alan Mason. And your question, sir? Um, is, isn't HTML5 and even Silverlight really um, catching up to what Flash has been doing for years already? That's fair. We have not given Flash enough love. 
Go right? Ahead, both I mean, it's, been, it's got a huge level of adoption across browsers for an add-in. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, it's remarkable. And uh, fine consumer of CPU cycles, too. <laughs> yeah, it keeps my phone warm. Yes. <laughs> I just watched a video where they where one of the new Android phones had Flash 10 on it, and he was actually in real time able to watch the battery go down. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's an interesting question, and it goes back to something I said earlier about paving cow paths. Mm-hmm. And sure, HTML5 may be catching up to Flash. Um, I think that's a stretch. Yeah, well, and, you know, you have to remember that HTML5 is just HTML. I mean, yes. it's not, it doesn't have ActionScript on the back end or, you know, C-sharp or whatever. Um, so, yes, it is catching up. Will it replace it? I'm not totally convinced. Um, but I certainly think it's going to take some of the limelight away. But a comma, Things but like a, video and audio. Yeah, but the, a common perception, not here because you're all way too intelligent for that, but a common perception uh, out there is that you know Flash and Silverlight play video, and now HTML5 lets you play video, so mm-hmm. they're Flash, Silverlight killers. You know? and, and so Silverlight and Flash are, are both way more than just play videos, you know, they, they're, they're a whole platform to do whatever you like with. So, so often these debates, and there was even an awful article about comparing JavaScript with Silverlight with this guy who had no idea, wrote this awful article, was slammed. <laughs> and, um, and, and so there's a lot of people who are making these comparisons where it's not really necessary, you know, they're not competing with one another. Uh, they're alternative technologies and the, the, the overlap is probably less than you think. I, I beg to differ a little, even though I totally agree that Silverlight and Flash are, are more a development framework. You know, like, what are the impressions? You know, like, what are the page impressions of Flash, you know, apps? It's YouTube, it's, you know, Vimeo, it's... Facebook. It's, yeah, it's... Holy like, cow. Yeah. There's a whole culture of Flash apps in there. Mm. Oh, well, yeah, sorry, I don't do farm books. All right. <laughs> All you need to do is have a couple of teenage daughters in your life. You get to know about Flash yeah. running in Facebook. Like, yeah. But we often tend to ask these questions from technology point of view. So, so the adoption of Flash wasn't because a bunch of geeks in the room thought it was a cool technology and thought, let's put this out on the web and run it inside the web. It was because you know, users wanted to play video. They wanted to see video on in their websites, and it was very much driven by users. And so... Uh, it, it's uh, probably something we haven't talked about, but an interesting distinction between the way Apple run their business and the, the apps that they promote is very much a user-driven focus. So they look at what the user wants. They're very good at design. They're very good at the way the, the thing feels. Microsoft have taken recently are taking a, quite a different approach where they're targeting developers with their new platforms. They're targeting the development community yeah. to, to fall in love with Silverlight, to have a relationship with XAML, to do stuff... To build apps for the for, for the Windows Phone for, for the browser, and so uh, and they're hoping that that will then in turn create apps that the users want to buy. And so um, it, it depends on whether you're talking to a technology person or not as to whether they think Flash or Silverlight or whatever is a good idea. People, you know, you ask my mum. Well, actually, you know, you wouldn't ask my mum because she doesn't even know what a browser is. But you'd ask someone who <laughs> who you know uses the web. You know, I think they, regular they consumers care. aren't aware one way or the other. They no, just they want it care. to work. They don't know that Flash yeah. consumes memory. You know, yeah. Yeah, but we're, we're at a developer conference, and so these guys are going to be developing these things, right? Sure. So, well, and they have uh, their bosses who are going to say, "Are you going to get? Is this going to be a cost-effective thing to do? Mm-hmm. Is this uh, what you uh, is what you're developing going to be reusable? Is it going to be redeployable? Is it going to work on many platforms?" But your boss is right. more like my mum. 
and he. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know your boss. Very <laughs> true. But then the, your boss is very much focused uh. on the, yeah the experience, the the end result, the right. the, the profitability, the, uh, the 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 marketability of the thing that you come up with, yeah. And whereas the, the, the grunt on the ground is, is going, oh, I love this technology, it shines, it buzzes. The people in this room are often convinced by the technology before they are of the actual use yeah, of it. Yeah. And so depending on which pull is stronger, depending on whether you know, the, 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 the technology drive to create really cool apps that people want is stronger than people saying, I really want this thing now and I want it to run in 3D on my TV and to be able to look at YouTube at the same time, those are the things that are perhaps going to answer some of the questions that we're posing now in terms of what the future will be. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by the Haystack Code Generator for .NET, Code Generation on Steroids. Want more control over your code gen? Want your code generator to give you Silverlight 4, WPF, and ASP.NET CRUD screens? The Haystack Code Generator for .NET will generate entity, data, and business rule classes for all your SQL Server and Oracle tables, views, and store procedures. Haystack generates ASP.NET, WPF, and Silverlight user controls, view model classes, and WCF service layer classes for true end-tier applications. Check out CodeHaystack.com, download the user manual, and watch the videos for more information on this great product. They host a live webcast every two weeks. You can sign up at pdsa.com webcasts and see how Haystack will shorten your development cycle. The strength of Flash is 10 versions. I mean, it's version 10. That is a mature technology. Uh, adoption that can't be touched. It's everywhere. Mm. It's only now that we've got this huge flap around Apple choosing not to allow Flash on their devices, that we're finally dealing with situations where people have devices that won't run Flash. And then it becomes it's been a, even more a user choice. If I want to have an iPad... Am I going to give up Flash? I've got to give up Flash. Yeah, so we've actually dragged it to the forefront of the user. I, I think the other struggle of Flash, ultimately, is I think its development tools aren't as sturdy as some, but they do work, and they've been around a long time. Which, again, my mum doesn't care that nope. I can build a XAML app. But this audience does. But this audience does. But yeah. this audience is maybe not determining the future of web apps. Yeah, they have to live in it. Yeah. So by that token, if we just look at the pure numbers, Flash means a logical choice. It goes everywhere. Unless they have a requirement to go on an iPad, up until now, they've Flash was the safest choice. It was everywhere. If you can find a Flash developer. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was, it was fun. You know, the most of the Flash developers I've met don't have time for an interview because they're too busy making money. Yeah. Right? They're busy guys. It's a very popular space to be in. And it, I mean, interesting to have Silverlight start to work into that space uh, and bring, you know, regular C-sharp developers able to do that sort of thing because the Flash development is an interesting challenge. I don't know if we addressed your question, sir, per se. I wanted to give Flash a little love because it, it's earned it. But it's earned its hate, too. <laughs> Works both ways. But, you know, if nobody used the product, then nobody would be upset with it. That's right. Exactly. Well, guys, we've got about 10 minutes left. Where haven't we gone? Did a little cloud time. Probably we've definitely made fun of HTML5. Security very much. Whoops. What do we end up We haven't talked about security very much. Well, security is just HTTPS. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's crypto. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I, I mean, most folks... That's the reaction to security, is we'll just put SSL on and everything will be fine. Right. So you don't care about your identity management. You don't care about your privacy settings. You don't care about buffer overflow, SQL injection. You know, like, you know, I guarantee every person who's written some, you know, 
and user input here with SQL at the back is, is vulnerable, SQL injection. Why don't we hammer on the identity path? Should we talk a little open ID? Do you think this is the one? Simple SAML or, or you know, something. Well, we're seeing this movement now with the Facebook, Facebook, Google, Twitter conjunction saying your ID there can be used on yep. these other sites. So is this the beginning of single sign-on that will actually work? Federated sign-on, right. Federated sign-on, yeah. essentially. Well, I think federation, I'm not saying that any one thing is the answer per se, but a federated model is the way to go. You know, it seems obvious that you're not going to trust one, you know, pyramid of, of control. Sure you are, it's Google. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. In the corporate space, you're certainly not. Well, Microsoft tried it with your customers. Yeah, Microsoft Passport. tried it with their Hotmail. Yeah, I remember Passport. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's still going. You know, they you know Windows yeah. Live is called now. Isn't yeah, it? but you can't uh, actually you can't create new Passport accounts. But Expedia will use your Live account. But yeah. that, that's about it. But, but you're right though. That if you look at the future of web apps again, you know, like the the, the change the change that's happening is that we we do have multiple accounts with multiple different companies all over. Over the place, running on some native, some not, so, you know, all over the place, and so, you know, you, you either got a really great memory for passwords, or you do what probably most people do and just have one password and yeah. just uh, use it everywhere, or you use it. I have lots so. of passwords; they're on sticky notes all the way around my monitor. <laughs> <Yeah. That's right. laughs> but solving that problem, you know, if the future of web apps can solve that problem, uh, well, in a way that actually is not too hard to so implement, like the current solutions, then uh, yeah. Yeah, it's actually a barrier to adoption of a lot of things. I mean, it's a barrier to adoption of uh, the integration of certain applications, especially uh, when they, especially when they're client facing. Yeah, I, well, absolutely. The the, the idea that uh, who has seen that OzCon demonstration or uh, keynote by uh, Dick Hart, where he talked about there's a bunch of stuff. Like what what's making me crazy is entering my address again. And entering, you know, the same criteria over and over again. It's like calling the telephone company. I have to give them my phone number four times every time they hand me off. I feel the same way about websites. And we, I still haven't seen a great answer to that that we just haven't adopted yet. Sorry? You're going to have to say that. Web finger. Web finger. Okay. So that's the Kiwi version of it. And I just said, I guess the American version, web finger. Okay. <laughs> and so Webfinger is a technology for sort of keeping your... your uh, IDMC and, and kind of um, federation and stuff. And then I implement that on my website? Gentlemen, any idea? Never used Webfinger? Never used no. it. Well, um, you missed out, obviously. But obviously, but but again, it's same. You know, the federated ID is, is the way to go. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, standards of interoperability between these things is an important you know, thing we have to do. Why can't I just, you know, have my company's IDP that I log into and I use that for everyone, you know? Like, because it can, you know, or maybe not your company's for your Facebook account because it's got your dodgy pictures from you know, party <laughs> on Friday night. What's but, that? <laughs> <laughs> um, last night for you guys, so... <laughs> And is, is Webfinger, I presume that Webfinger is a, an application. That's <laughs> <Hey. laughs> nice. You let those Webfinger guys know they have a little more work to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got us. Yeah, everybody's got work to do. Yeah. No two ways about it. Yeah. But uh, uh, what concerns me is in this conversation so far, looking at the future, we've been looking at a choice of technologies that are coming along and saying, this one's got its strengths, that one's got its strengths. But the federated sign-on 
the identity information, we still don't feel like we've got the technologies we really like. It's not like if everyone would just choose OpenID, we'd be fine. Yeah. You know, we're not there yet. I haven't seen a technology to make me go crazy. That that's the one. Maybe that's no, why we haven't adopted. But it's only been really the last few years that we've decided on federated sign-on. You know, like it, it, you know, everyone seems to think that federation is the way to go. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we're at the sharing passwords phase of the conversation now. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's a long way to go on these, you know. But I think, you know, bring back to the, what I think the future of web apps is: is where is the data, where is the logic? You know, things like you know, the data is definitely sits in the cloud as services out there in some, you know, arch, you know, SOA type service architecture. Um, and you know, identity is one of those key services, and we haven't got it sussed yet. No, you know? we haven't got it. We're sort of yeah. getting there. We know, but it's not. Again, nothing's making me excited. Mm -hmm. Was. It was, so again, I'm excited about authentication. <laughs> well, I think we're also talking about that pretty much it's the folks in this room that care about identity that way. I think the regular consumer hasn't thought to care. Well, no, but they hate having 20 sign-ons. Yes. And they hate having to enter their address 30 times. But then when they see that, that every, I can do all my sign-ons through Google, they get chills, and perhaps not unwisely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But as soon as you get around the fact that you need to have a password, I mean, that's the fundamental problem, isn't it? Though you mm -hmm. don't... It's a kind of a flawed metaphor for identifying who you are, because it's, you know, you could, someone could find it out, someone could guess it. You know, if you know, if, if more, you know, fingerprint readers or retina scans, or if that was somehow made mainstream and usable, then we would never have this. Wouldn't it'd be a non-issue unless someone cut your finger off or pulled your eye out. You know, be. Yeah. And be, why are you yeah. encouraging them to do that? <laughs> <laughs> what about the privacy information of? absolute identity of yours stored by some corporate or government information out there. Not just, you know, like, you know, you, you know, your signature or, or a password you've chosen, but it's your DNA, yeah. it's your retina, it's your fingerprints. Um, you know, biometrics, you know, it's only, you know, 60 odd years ago that it was a certain country in Europe that sort of used all the huge information that had gathered over the previous eight years to then go stick people in death camps, you know? Um, and well, there's a happy turn Do you trust your government? So I know we all live in reasonably liberal democracies, and it's pretty safe today. But if you look back, you know, like it doesn't take many decades for a government to go bad. If you look back in history, huh? we have got our answers, and America starts to um, uh, do tariffs against us. Yeah, it's a little bit different, but yeah, yeah. What about the same thing again? We do it again. Then America says, "Well, no more cloud throwing New Zealand." That's right. Yeah, that's a very that's a very good point. I mean, it, you, you, you've got to make a very strong decision when you choose a cloud provider. You, you are making a decision that could be the life of your um, your your corporate, uh, your, your, the strength of the execution of your corporate services. And if you if that cloud service isn't going to execute uh, fast and efficiently, and you you could go down. And what do you do about that? And they'll say, well, they'll just shift that service to another closer provider, but. What's the yeah, it seems to me, especially considering the bandwidth constraints around New Zealand, that there needs to be cloud providers in country. Mm -hmm. And I think that's generally an issue for a lot of data anyway. There's plenty of uh, law in the EU side of things that says our citizens' data must live in the country if it's yeah. privacy-related data. And that, I don't think that's going to be going away anytime soon. We are trying to address these sense of, uh, of uh, privacy. And I'm interested to see generally the Kiwi attitude toward government. That seems... Uh, very friendly. <laughs> you, you're, you were concerned about 
it seems to make sense that we would have a central authority for identity. <laughs> which is the question of who that authority may be. We want single sign-on, we want federated that federated. Yeah, but federated can be a decentralized federation. You can decide your trust boundaries between your you know, IDP and, and whatever you're federating. I just wonder if that's beyond the level of the average consumer. That's I'm just not saying thinking the consumer has to, but they have an organization that they best trust in. Because yeah, Verisign <laughs> will keep you safe. But I mean, again, yeah, we still we end up seeing the web apps. So we all, but we're true. again, we get back to the situation of we want to appoint a leader in this space, and then we won't trust them, hmm. right? Whether that be Google or a, a government or Microsoft or Verisign, it's the same problem each time, mm -hmm. right? We don't actually have a central. But store. some people will trust Microsoft, and some people will trust, trust Google. If we have a good federation system between them, then let them trust that or trust their local tennis club the local tennis club <laughs> guys let's move on to a funner topic before I, as we wrap up what is the future of online gaming around this this is a different class of web app but certainly one with some money in it yeah oh, more sad wow addicts you know? <laughs> um you know like those sort of multi massively multiplayer massive games. multiplayer uh the uh, the wind phone sevens bringing industry space into there where they're talking about the integration with xbox and yeah you know like sorry i find that so hard to get excited about you know i've got a 19 year old boy who spends a lot of time right <laughs> well and it looks like they're building more and more ingredients to spend more time yeah, I'm, I'm kind of here, maybe I don't want to take over the comparing, but I'm really interested when I when I thought of this the, the the about this topic. What's the future of web apps? I was keen to know what other. When I think of the future, you know, the keynote they had like Space Age, uh, was it the keynote they had this video and she was lounging on a couch and doing stuff with something and a TV was changing. There was all these sort of avatar like uh, technologies that that she was using, and you know, you know, sitting in front of Firefox on a browser with some text boxes and text on it, it cannot be the future of web apps. <laughs> and I'd like to think you know, that maybe other people have got a vision for what they think things are going to be like in, in a few years' time. And if, if, if that vision can't be solved by the technology we have here, then that shows us perhaps where the technology now has to evolve to realize those visions of what the, the thought leaders in the, in, in the industry are thinking about what they want to do in the future to, to reach people. Oh, was everybody in the keynote? saw this sort of seamless integration approach to what's on my phone ends up on my surface because we all want a $15,000 coffee table. Uh, <laughs> goes over to my TV, shows up on my PC. We, we really haven't talked about this part. That, that, that was very cool. <laughs> I like that a lot. That was even more. Yeah, I mean, I just want to. It's, it's really easy when you have these discussions to think about the technology that we know about, because mm -hmm. you know. But that's now, and uh, okay, we can think how it might evolve to tomorrow. Um, but but you know what? You know, what 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 is good? You know, we we haven't talked about this sort of ubiquitous web, you know, like well, OS, where there is no OS, it's just a, a container for these applications, and whether that's a browser or not, you know, that's an interesting Well, I saw the topic. tweet go by that says, in 2022, I hope I'm not using a browser. Yeah. I think in 2022, don't we go to the, the Matrix head plug-in mm. thing? <laughs> and I'm going to watch HTML5 errors directly into my eyes. I hope I'm Hell yes! <laughs> <laughs> or got a very long cord. 
<laughs> the idea of having a TV set in your living room that's that's your your computer, you know, that is your presentation for your your social family, you know, as space and and how to watch that. But that's so that. today, you know. You, we've, it, you know, it, how many people here have got like a, a yeah, but I was a, focusing on a device is fundamentally wrong. What we're talking about is ubiquity and total immersion, and that happens once the Internet of Things meets uh, connectivity 24-7 and situational devices, and thinking in paradigms of a screen or a browser... Or, or, or even a technology is, is fundamentally wrong. Yeah, I was, I was kind of going to move on to something else. I was just setting up the scene for, <laughs> for the future. But one of the, one of the aspects of that, that vision is where you, you separate the, the personal device versus the social space with inside the family home. And the place where you sit around and you consume media and you, you watch stuff that's part of your, you know, your family time together versus everybody sitting in their, in their rooms with their own personal devices or their own way of consuming their media. And that's a big paradigm shift. Last five minutes, guys. Let's uh, give some final comments for each one starting this time. Um, well, you know, what are the future of web apps? I believe it's, you know, like it's just going to get more and more diverse. You know, we're going to have... Um, I don't think there is a nice ubiquity model. There's not a Internet of Things meeting, you know, the whole... There's, n there's not that beautiful sci-fi space. It is going to be and, and, and. We're going to have parallel, you know, people living in Africa with, you know, dial-up modems. They're going to have people who use the internet to you know, do a bit of shopping and browse you know, their sites with right through you know, to some people with TV enabled. It's going to be everything, unfortunately. It's the, the older technology... You know, I've got to stop you on the Africa thing. Spend some time in Kenya, where if I want to buy something, I buy, if I want to pay you back the five bucks you lent me, I pay you on the phone. Right, everything's yeah, yeah, yeah. phone driven. Yeah, I buy, I go do my shopping yeah. off my phone. Yeah. Right, like they, they, there's an upside to not having the old infrastructure around. They get to build the new infrastructure first. Right, cell phones drive that country. They've got a very different perception of the internet than we've got. And it's yeah. not necessarily a bad one. No, I agree. But, uh, but I'm saying it's different. I'm not. I'm saying it's and and and. Right. It's not. There's not some ubiquitous. Or you could say if then, if then, if then. <laughs> that's what we're really going to. As developers, from that's a developer point of view, yeah, you're just going to have to have a whole lot more nested. Of so the future of web, <laughs> the future of web apps is more pain. You heard it here more first. More pain, unfortunately, <laughs> because you know people are going to come up with more and more cool ideas, and the old ones aren't going to go away. All right. Next up. <laughs> Hey, for you developers, I think um, the, the world's going to be full of services. I think you, you're going to be writing less and less of code in-house, and you're going to be using a lot more mashup stuff sitting in, sitting in the web. Uh, it, it's going to make life extremely complicated, and uh, making decisions and choices around that starts becoming a business decision rather than a developer decision. Excellent. Um, so, yeah, so from my perspective, the, the future of the web is, is, is not as bad as you sound. I think it, it's very exciting for developers, and I think that the, uh, the challenges are going to be that it's going to be more and more demands for your applications that you'll build to target more and more devices, and that's going to become an economic challenge for your boss because he's going to have to decide how much to invest in each of those independent front-end applications that are going to talk with the cloud or whatever they might be. Uh, so 
your boss is going to have to make some decisions about the technology sets of the users. I think future, future, HTML is not going to cut it in its current form to fill those needs where you need to communicate with your device, where you need to interact with your toaster. Those scenarios, HTML hasn't got there yet, and I'm really interested to know whether HTML will evolve to become a, to jump out of its sandbox more, because uh, if it doesn't, then other things will need to. I'll let HTML5 go last. <coughs> Thanks. Um, well, I agree with almost everything that was mentioned there, um, but the, the, I think the fundamental problem is, or will be, the lack of standardization. And specifically, when you come to um, interfacing with these cloud environments, you know, what what is your API going to look like? Are you using REST? Are you using SOAP? What is, and in that, like, how easy will it be to swap in between? So, as a standards nerd, I'd have to say that focusing on standards will make the web a better place, not only from a front-end point of view, but across the board. As long as that standard's silver-like, yeah. <laughs> I, frankly, I don't really mind what that standard is, as long as it's open, accessible, and relatively easy to understand and use. That's a great closing line. Hope this was good for you. Thanks for coming on .NET Rocks. Thanks very much. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got to transmit a band.